0: Excellent. Excellent. It is, you go away for a week and then you forget how to do everything. I think we opened most of our one-on-one live with Coach oh, Blues that cloudy. same way. Hmm? Is it only a little cloudy? Do you know what? We yeah, let's wind brought, well.
1: I think maybe we just brought some of the humidity from Florida.
0: How crazy was that? <laughs> it was hard to like be mad at that when it was like, like one degree here. Yeah. All right. There's just some bonus features. How's that? Let's see. All right, just pretend that it didn't happen yep. and we'll keep moving forward. Awesome. Okay. In more ways than one, Marissa, In in more ways than one, what a... What a couple of weeks. Hey, everyone. Welcome to One-on-One Live with Coach Blue and Athletic Director Marissa. I don't know. Uh, It's a miracle that we're here uh, because of all of life that's going on. Life doesn't ever seem to just slow down, does it? No, it doesn't. Have you noticed that? Yeah, I've kind of. Good grief. Uh, welcome. This is uh, our weekly live, uh, I guess, call-in show where you can jump on Zoom. You can jump on questions if you have them on Facebook. We'd love to have you interact with us. Or if uh, for some reason you know you, you, this came on while you're scrolling uh, while you went to the restroom at work and you can't listen to it all right now hey this will be turned into a podcast we'll post later today so you can always kind of find us on our social media outlets and uh, specifically our addict to athlete website addict2athlete.org what's what's on that thing anyway
1: just about everything our team store how places and ways you can donate all of our events um, our support group meetings, all of our podcasts, everything. Every resources. Yep.
0: We have it all. In fact, there is a, a, a neat little resource for you if you feel so inclined to become a, a certified. Addict to Athlete Recovery Coach. We have put together immense training, 40 hours worth of training to help you become certified to be one of our official Addict to Athlete Coaches, where you could use it to increase your own understanding of addiction and addiction recovery, or maybe even open up a chapter of Addict to Athlete in your community. We need more grassroots level help. And after what we discovered through through this conference, we'll talk a little bit about, it is the grassroots networks that I truly believe, Marissa, will shape the future of addiction recovery. Absolutely. Absolutely. So jump on addictoathlete.org for more information. And again, I want to thank all of you who helped us out with our Project ELF fundraising. We are still doing so. The need's going to be great this year. I've noticed that uh, with the, the pandemic coming to an end, but, but now with inflation and all that kind of stuff, we're having some real, uh, I guess, requests for some help and assistance. So yeah. if you're so inclined, jump onto our social media or you know mm-hmm. jump onto one of our, our uh, fundraising platforms and donate if you can. And if you're in the greater Utah County, Salt Lake County, you know, Utah area, and you have someone that's struggling, please let us know. Yeah. You know. If if we can't personally help them, we will definitely point them in directions to receive some assistance. So yeah, if you have a family that you would like to nominate that you know that
1: needs help, please reach out, Marissa at addictathlete.org. Um, message us. We need to get the applications back in. I know we've had some sent out and hopefully we get them in soon because we have people that are ready and willing to, help with our shopping and it takes a lot so it
0: does it takes a lot but I want to thank you all for your generosity it is being well felt and I can't wait uh, again for that feeling Christmas day just knowing that you've contributed to someone's you know I guess uh, you know holiday experience so thank you all so much Marissa we have some amazing Patreon subscribers that I want to uh you know shout them out um and and trust me your, your stuff's coming we were Marissa's kind of picky with her logos <laughs> And I'm like, hey, that's that looks good, slap it on there. But Marissa's a little bit more picky than I am. So it keeps going back to the drawing board. But that means when it's official, it's gonna be, it's gonna be epic. So uh, I'm sure I'm sure Josh Hansen's like, oh come on, Marissa. But that's what he signed up for, right? Yep. You want to give a shout out to our Patreon subscribers? Absolutely.
1: So we want to start with our super fans. That is Karen Hardy, Steve Riggs, Tracy Whitby, Jerem Thurston, Tara Butson, Holly Davies, Scott Foster, Brett Frew, Chris Williams. Sensei KP, and we have a new super fan, Patrick Forsyth.
0: Thank you, guys.
1: Welcome, Patrick. We're glad to have you part of the Patreon family and willing to help and support this podcast.
0: Absolutely. Then
1: we have our rookies. That's Sioni and Mary Innook, Sherry Poulsen, and Earl Dyer. Thank you, rookies. The pro level is Andrew Baird, Wendell Wood, and Gary
0: Thurston. Men of my own heart. Yep.
1: Then the champion level subscribers, that is the Robison family and Ron and D Loesch.
0: Man, I love them. In fact, we just got to spend some time with uh, with Emma and, and Freya and coach, coach Liz up at a school in uh, in Lehigh right. doing some Red Ribbon Week um, experiences for an assembly there. And man, they brought it home. So thank you, Robisons. And, uh, and D, I know you're on the horizon. You're going to be a sober coach here very soon taking the training so i can't wait to get her up and go i can't wait to go up there and visit her and and see kind of how we can help um you know it's gonna be a great experience
1: of montana if you
0: want to help us with addict to athletes podcast moving it out there forward a little bit further each time jump onto our patreon patreon.com slash addict to athlete you'll find all the tiers that come with specific perks and features and bonuses um but two dollars a month marissa that gets you all of our bonus content which is i would say worth two dollars a month Oh yeah, it's yeah,
1: and it's all the back stuff that we've done. I think we have over thirty-five backlogged bonus episodes that you are welcome to go and listen to when you become a Patreon.
0: And I'm planning on doing a live Q and A with all of you guys on Patreon here very soon to get to know you a little bit more, maybe to answer some questions, maybe just to get some dialogue going, and just kind of you know thank you for participating in uh, in that effort. We truly, truly appreciate it. Martha, we got lots to talk about today. Um, we just had an experience where we traveled to Orlando, Florida, for the, the uh, what I keep wanting to call it Generations, but that's a Salt Lake one. It's a global exchange, global exchange. Um, mental health and addiction conference, and man, was it packed! Packed yeah. in a lot of good ways and a lot of interesting ways. Yeah. So this was held on the Disneyland Resort, and it was awesome because we were staying on a at a hotel that was just right there by it. The first day. We got incredibly lost, which was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, because I had no idea how massive that place is, and so we cruise over to what we think is the conference center, and right. we open the doors. Yeah,
1: no one's there.
0: No one's there. We're like, I thought this was the biggest conference in the nation. Big. Why did
1: we not see people?
0: <laughs> so we're walking around. Rissa found herself in the kitchen at one point, and I'm like, "Gotta put a hairnet and an apron on if you go back there." Um, but we ended up finding the lo- location, and man, was it amazing. Yeah. The first guest speaker that I've I've heard of, and I've read some of his stuff, and I have just, uh, just the utmost respect for him, Dr. Gabriel Mate. And Dr. Gabriel Mate, he has done so much in the world of understanding how trauma plays a deep role in addiction. And how important it is that we stay focused on the root causes. Now, I love hearing this kind of stuff, Marissa, because years ago, I said, you know, there's two reasons people use.
1: Yeah.
0: One is to just party, just to feel good, just to hang out and experience life.
1: Yeah.
0: But 99% of everyone else who gets caught in it, they do it to cover some kind of pain, some kind of trauma, something that's hurt that manifests and creates this need for escape. And when I'm listening to Dr. Mate talk about all of his research and things that he's understood, the more I'm realizing, man, this, this, this is what I truly believe. Addictions birth comes from something that hurts. And it's funny because there was a few others that, you know, contradicted his comments and whatnot. Um, But here's the deal. There's a lot of different approaches and to each his own. But for me and what I've seen grassroots level boots on the ground, it's trauma. Yeah. You took away a lot of, uh, uh, stuff from Dr. Monte, what kind of stood out to you? Now we did a podcast on this while we were there. Yeah. Um, it, it was horrible. Like <laughs> the audio was garbage. Um, it was an afterthought just because we, we felt so passionate. And maybe we'll put that out on the Patreon at a bonus episode one day. Yeah, um, Maybe I can clean the audio up. But what did you gather from Dr. Mate just really kind of getting into that mindset of like, it comes from something that hurts.
1: What I loved about him is he is a, like, he's an MD. He is a physical doctor. doctor. Um, he's not a psychiatrist. And I have followed him for a while and I had, I didn't know that I assumed he had been working in the field of addiction for a long time. Yeah. But most of his history is in family medicine. And I just love that he has looked at it as a more of a holistic view rather than let's just look at the physical issues and how do we fix that. But he's looked at it as this is all encompassing in issues that we have in our life. Um, he started with some of the basic questions of, you know, how many of you guys have been to the doctor in the last, I think he said three years or something and your doctor, you know, just general medical provider has asked you, what is your stress level? What is your relationship with your significant other spouse or family? Um, and he said, those are some of the most key factors to knowing and understanding somebody's physical, emotional, and mental health. It's all of it. It's all tied together. And, you know, we've discussed a lot and we have a podcast on ACEs, the adverse childhood experiences. And that is one of the longest going um, studies on people's overall health from, you know, childhood trauma pretty much in growing up and what it predicts in people's future health and physical body and health. And he discusses a lot of that. And it was pretty phenomenal.
0: So Gabriel Mate also talks about trauma-informed care, which, again, when I heard about trauma-informed care about 10, 15 years ago. Under the new term. Yeah. Yeah, You know, it was kind of interesting because although I understood this, you know, I thought, well, there's, there's got to be more to it than just that. But there's not. It is so centrally focused on, on these kind of things. And the cool thing about this is trauma-informed well, care. You've
1: been doing it forever. Yeah. I just didn't have, didn't realize that's that what it was called. And that's kind of the term they've coined and, you know, it is, is important, but I think you've always done it naturally.
0: For sure. Just because, you know, again, if my, if my own understanding of addiction is it comes and it was born from trauma, of course, but the neat thing is that it, it, it shifts care from the focus of, you know, what's wrong with you to what happened to you. Yeah. Now, here's the deal. This is why it's hard for us men to be real connected with this because, you know, and I, I, and I tease a lot. And I'm like, you know, uh, you know, Adam Girl talks about in 50 years, well, we're going to all be chicks, you know, because we're all kind of like, you know, feeling all these deeper emotions. We're all doing these things. Um, I was raised by by a, a single mother and two sisters. And so I took very, I guess, detailed mental notes about how men treated them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a trauma-based experience. I mean, even at the hands of me, you know, experiencing abuse from some stepfathers and those. And so as I look at this, I start thinking, there's so much more to this, but us men, we have a hard time connecting that because we don't want to seem weak. We don't want to seem as though we are not supermen. And I think trauma-informed care really emphasizes the fact that guys, you struggle and hurt just as deep as, as your female counterparts. The problem is, is that we stuff it. So it's interesting. I remember when I was in my graduate class, Marissa, they were talking about um, where do we store this stuff? And it's all stored in your body. If you've ever done EMDR therapy, you know, that the therapist will, will, will frequently ask, where do you feel this in your body? Mm-hmm. And it moves, it changes. You can feel it in your heart. Like right now, I can feel this in my heart because I'm passionate about it. And I'm, I'm, I'm loving what we're talking about, but my trauma, my stress typically goes to my lower back. When my lower back starts to hurt, I feel like I throw my back out. Right. Yeah. So you start thinking, all right, so what happens? But most times when you start seeing this, you feel it in your heart. Why do you think so many people have heart attacks? They, they truly start peeling back the layers. It could be diet. It could be all these other things, but the central cause it's a broken heart. Something yeah. hurts. Something doesn't feel right. And so what do we do? We push it away. We push it away. We have signs and warning things. We push it away. We push it away. Pretty soon it comes out. Yeah. So trauma-informed care, I love this. It seeks to, to um, you know, realize widespread impact of trauma and to understand the pathways to recovery, yeah. which is huge. And so Gaber Mate was, was really, I think, influential on me just kind of reiterating and solidifying what we know about trauma. Absolutely. You're pulling up ACEs. What do you what do you want to share?
1: Yeah, so ACEs is just, you know, adverse childhood experiences. What is it? And I think when we talk about trauma, and in fact we had this discussion last week, oftentimes we've had people come in or I I do substance abuse assessments and one of the questions, do you have trauma? And so often people say no. No, not at all. Yeah. And I'm thinking, "Okay, well if their addiction is at this level, there's something." And so as I ask more you know, deeper questions and trying to get at it, people go, Oh, well this happened, but that's not a big deal. Often that co- term, it's not a big deal is because they're con- t- comparing their trauma to be somebody else's, you know, Hey, well, I haven't been sexually molested by a family member. So it's you know,
0: so me, so yeah, me so, being ridiculed yeah. over, you know, like, like, you know, bad score on a test or because you know, I was obese as a child, that shouldn't be a big deal yeah.
1: or but it parents, you know, only loving you conditionally, like only when you did good things and you know, that parents were totally involved and came to every single soccer game, but yeah. How did they react when you didn't get that home run? How did they react? And all of a sudden they're like, well, yeah, but you know, there's no, but Trauma is trauma, depending on the person that's experiencing it and how that affects them. And even though it might be something minimal, what are the, what are the messages that a child is taking when, you know, they go and they do an amazing job in a, in a sports, you know, game, but they don't hit that last home run. And the first thing dad says is, (laughs) gosh, you did that. You messed up. It's not like, Oh my gosh, that was so good. And uh, what did you think about that last one? Give it to the kid to answer instead of you judging. And yeah, all of a sudden over and over the child's thinking, well, I'm only being praised when I do when I'm perfect. And, you know, often that breeds um, perfectionism or just these negative, this negative self-talk that we give ourselves and And it's, it's bad. It's, it ends up just growing and growing and becoming just like a festering.
0: It drops confidence. And that was the latest um, Patreon episode was on confidence. And it talks about that inner dialogue that we have when we continue to have these experiences, these traumatic experiences, it, it does dumb down our inner dialogue and we begin to believe what we are interpreting, you know. So mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, I, and I, and you you say that eloquently because I had a friend once. I went to his, his little you know, little league game when we were you know, young, and of course I wasn't playing because it cost money and brought joy, so it was too expensive for the Robinson family. <laughs> but I went and watched my buddy play, and he was, he was he did great. In fact, he did he did something I can't remember it was so long ago, but he did something that that uh, let the team come ahead, and they actually won the game. And when his dad was like, you know, the other players came out, they're like, yeah, oh, you, you did you did great. As I was riding home, I was watching, and I still have this mental picture. I'm watching his dad drive and my friend in the front seat. And I'm like, man, that was really, that was really cool. Like I wasn't expecting that. And his dad says, yeah, but, but tell me about that error on third base. And I watched my friend kind of like slump his shoulders. Like he went from being all like, yes, up until that. Now you may say, well, that was because his father's trying to make him better. He's trying to shape him into that, that mindset of like, you're better than this, and you can be even more better than that mm-hmm. if you watch those errors. And it remind me of what Dr. Mate said about um, a certain person when she was interviewing. And you know, I screwed this up on the live podcast, the other podcast. So you tell the story about, you know, we don't show weakness mm-hmm. in the family.
1: Yeah. So a f- girl was outside playing. She was hurt. Something happened. Somebody said something. She came inside crying, and mom was like, "What's wrong?" And it's like, well. We are a house, we're a house of courage. Like I need you to show courage and be courageous. Suck it up. Like suck it up and get back out there, which is think, oh, that's a good hopeful thing. Yeah, that's nice. But the girl was only like four years old yeah. in a story he's telling. And it's like maybe that girl just needed somebody to give her a hug and love her and say, it's okay.
0: You let's wash it off. Let's scrub that wound yeah. a little bit. It's gonna hurt, but then we'll get you back out yeah. there. So I'll finish it. So it was interesting because he said, "No, again, no politics." We, yeah, you know, you know, election day was yesterday. We're moving on, but he said that little girl ended up being Hillary Clinton. And if you remember when she was trying to run for president uh, in 2000, she suffered some heavy health issues, some ammonia and those kind of things. And no one knew it until she you know, near dropped dead. And the reason why is she learned at a very young age: we show courage, we we show up, we you know we don't talk about weaknesses which ultimately destroyed her to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. So you think about those learned behaviors so early and how you can suppress that into adultism, right? Yeah. And I think it's one of the most amazing things because there was stuff that I entered our marriage with that I was completely dead wrong about, you know? And so I think about these kind of things and it makes your, it makes your eyes open just a little bit wider.
1: Well, I think even going back to the situation with you and your friend, you were looking at it as like, how cool to, with your friend, he got to play ball. Yeah, dad came to the game. His dad was there. Yeah. You, you were like, you're lucky kid. Like
0: I would give anything to be there. My parents didn't
1: come to anything, but he's taking, that's why it's, again, you cannot compare. And it's also, what is the perception? What is the perspective and how is that person interpreting what's being said around them? That's why, you know, you can be raised in the same home, same parents, but a sibling have tons of trauma and end up You know, struggling with addiction and another sibling saying, I had the greatest childhood around. What do you mean? Mom and dad were great. It's how that person interprets the messages and the experiences they're having. So, your friend took that as, yeah, it's a very painful thing. His dad's Mm -hmm. there, but then all of his, his dad did was point out the errors. And you were looking at it as, you're lucky your dad's here, but it doesn't matter. You can't compare that because the situation was to your friend kind of traumatizing and sad Mm -hmm. and how he experienced that himself
0: absolutely and so it's interesting how these things are born now we're all going to mess up our kids that's it's it's plain and simple we all will in fact you know we just had a, a huge huge tragedy at our house just yesterday as of the recording of this podcast and it it devastated us um and it brought my family to their knees and you know we lost our most amazing little pug We've had her for nine years and it kind of seemed like out of nowhere, she started getting sick and couldn't move. And it was very uncharacteristic. You know, Here I am in Florida. Okay. And the kids are telling me, Hey dad, the, you know, Hallie, our little pug, she's not doing well. And I'm like, suck it up. You guys, she's a dog. It's okay. Yeah. And you know, they'd say, like, no, this is serious. And then the next day, dad, she's throwing up. I'm like, you guys, she's a dog. It's okay. Probably ate something. And I, and I just kept on doubling down and tripling down because what could I do from Florida? But really it was because I was scared to death because here's our kids having to deal with this um, without a lot of resources, without the understanding of how to get the dog to the vet or all these things. And my path was to just shut them down. And so we get home on, uh, Sunday. on Sunday night and you know, we've been up all day traveling and all kinds of stuff and we get home and the dog's not doing well at all. And she I can see it. Get out of her bed. She and, couldn't it, and that is very uncharacteristic. Very. And immediately, I kept it going. I kept it going. I kept saying, she's a dog. She'll be fine. Just leave her alone, you guys. Give her some water. I said, like, Dad, she's not eating. She's not drinking. And so then I'm like, all right, we will take her to the vet. You know? And so Marissa drives over to Orem. And of course, everyone's there. Yeah. For some reason, everyone's dog was having problems uh, Sunday night. And so we get back and we're like. I called like
1: four other emergency vets that were all booked out. And, you know, six hour wait, or, you know, sorry, we're at max capacity. You need to call someone else.
0: And yeah,
1: what
0: yeah. Can I do. And so here I am like, you know, upset because now, you know, not only is this going to be a financial burden, but it's going to be an emotional burden. And to be honest with you listeners, that's where the real pain was coming from. I was trying to take the stoic route when what I really needed to be is an emotional father to the kids and to the dog. So we come back, my daughter Brooklyn and I, we decided to take the dog all the way up to Salt Lake, which is you know another 45 minute drive, which means we're going back up there. It's like traveling all day, fatigue, all this kind of stuff. We go up there and even the vet was like, we can't really tell what's going on. These are some of the things that aren't happening. Long story short, listeners, um, she ended up passing away yesterday uh, with, with Marissa and my daughter. And I was heartbroken, you know? Because my daughter, Brooklyn, said something to me while we were up there in the middle of the night. And she said, you know, Boston doesn't think you're taking this seriously. And like, here I am in the middle of the night with this dog and I'm ready to fork out all this money. And she was absolutely right. So I need to have a little conversation with my little guy and tell him about how I I have to suck it up and apologize again. Because I added to his trauma because he was super close to this dog.
1: Yeah. He would know. He knew everything she did. She would sleep in his room every night. And so he would be able to sense and tell something's going wrong. And he was watching her and saying, Mom, no, she's going out to the bathroom. And I watched her and she's straining and nothing's coming out and what's going on. And we were just like, oh, whatever. You don't see her all the time. And you know, you're just over it, you know, move on. But
0: that was so you know, as I as I showed Brooklyn the bill for you know, four hundred bucks, I'm like, this we're taking it serious, and again, that's not what they were asking, and so I just kept making mistake after mistake after mistake, and I've been thinking about it a lot. I'm like, where did I learn that? That that's coming from somewhere because that's not me, and I remember again, and this is no knock to anyone, but I remember Marissa's you know telling me about her dad, you know Gary, my the love of my heart, this guy how he would always kind of keep that up with their dogs. Like, Oh, I can't stand that dog. And so I just adopted that, but I know that Gary loved his dogs yeah, so much so that I remember when you had to put old uh puff down, he was the one that did it and it broke him. yeah. So why vicariously was I taking that approach? Because that's what I thought you did. I thought that's what dads do. Um, but like Gary now and me now, like that stuff hurts. So we had to, you know, we had to, she passed away. We buried her yesterday. And again, trauma. Here I am. I'm thinking, you know, I dug this hole. We, we put her in the box and um, I had my son Boston put her in the ground. I'm thinking, I didn't even ask him if he wanted to do that. I, I didn't ask him. You know, I'm thinking it'll be good for him. It'll be like one of these things about the closure and letting it go. But I didn't ask him. I just kind of had him do it. Yeah. Um, now, some of you out there may think thinking, this is a dog, right? But it's not. It's a family member. And so I look at this kind of stuff and I'm like, okay, so how do we, how do we repair this? Because unbeknownst to me, up until we have a time to breathe, I've created a lot of vicarious trauma with my family. And it wasn't the kind that was maliciously intended. It wasn't the kind that was, you know, grow up and, you know, knock off your tears. It was my own anxieties and fears.
1: That was even me, you know, Sunday night when we got home from the first doctor, I took the boys with me and, you know, everything was booked out. And I was just like, I just switched this frustration to, Hey guys, you need to shower. You need to get to bed. I need you doing this. You're not doing that instead of, Hey, this dog's hurting and in pain and they want to know she's okay. Like they're going to be able to just go and lay down and go to sleep. Well, yeah. And I'm worried about, Hey, brush your teeth. You guys have school in the morning. And later I, you know, sent them messages too and said, I'm really sorry. I'm scared. Mm-hmm. I'm sad.
0: Yeah. And and I was able to have those same conversations, but I still feel like there's some stuff that I need to repair, you know? And again, it, it may not even be for them. They could completely have moved on from that, but I, I haven't, I know that I was wrong. And I've, I've talked about this in the past listeners. And it's one of the most amazing things when you can humble yourself enough to literally apologize to your children You've arrived at a place that not many people will ever go. And what I mean by that is, can you imagine standing up to someone much taller than you, with much more authority than you, that has the potential to really put down some consequence on you and tell you and call you out? It's kind of an amazing thing. And so, by me going down and saying, you know, okay, guys, we have a little conversation here and I need to apologize, um, that comes with a promise that although I can't guarantee that it won't happen again, I give them a promise that I'll be aware of it and I'll make the amends. So no matter what, we're going to traumatize our friends, our families, our loved ones, our coworkers. Don't
1: how they'll accept whatever we're saying, whether it was caring or not, maybe it is the most caring thing, but their perspective and their perception may not be that because maybe that's not what they need, mm-hmm. whether it's too soft or too hard and we just have to be open to the point of being able to communicate and talk about that.
0: Yeah. So owning your own in a situation like that is incredibly powerful when it comes from a place of like a desire to heal. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Um, Not a reframing of, I want to be right. It was was interesting. Now I know I shouldn't do this, but I find myself going down the rabbit holes of TikTok sometimes. And I catch these things that go viral. And there was a lady that kind of in the crosshairs right now who was calling out another woman in public. You know, she was filming her like, you know, kind of like, uh, um, like discreetly, but she was making fun of what she was eating. This obese woman and she was eating it. This woman was like mocking her because she couldn't find anything to eat, but there's that person over there eating. Obviously it didn't go well. And it's, it's a disgusting video because it's like, who the F are you? Well, when she got called out, because in this day and age, you will be found. Um, she tried to make an apology video, which was just doubling and tripling down on her stance that she was right. And I'm thinking, you guys, we have to be humble enough to like admit when we're wrong. And we have to be humble enough to kind of throw up that white flag and say, okay, I, apparently I don't know enough here in this little situation. Um, but we don't do that. We don't realize that even on the social media platform, we have a lot of power. That's why I've had to really you know, pull back on some of the things that I hold, you know, very strong opinions about, Um, you know, because really, I'm not going to change any of your minds. Yeah. but we have to be aware enough that when we've done something wrong, to make amends isn't just about apologizing. It's about you internalizing why, and then how, and when, and what was going on. So I think that's an interesting dynamic. And you know, I'll be honest with you, listeners. This is not something I was even going to talk about. It just kind of as I was talking about Dr. Mate, I'm like, wait a minute. That whole thing, that whole situation with with uh, you know the young girl that turned into be Hillary Clinton. I just did that to my family less than 48 hours after hearing it from that professional's mouth. So we're not perfect. We're going to make mistakes. Um, and the cool thing about that is we have more successes than we do mistakes. So when mistakes happen, they can easily be healed from. Yeah. What do you think?
1: Well, and it's just being able to apologize and talk about it. And, you know, for me, some of my conversation with Boston, even today was, you know, we have to, be able to explain and express how we're feeling to people and that's hard but for us to be able to have our needs met we've got to be able to somehow verbalize what we need and as kids they don't always know what mm-hmm. they need or what's going on or why they're feeling unsettled or upset but trying to give them words or you know say well can I come up with some ideas and you tell me if this is accurate or not are is a great way to Start getting that conversation going.
0: Absolutely. Because if you don't listen to them right now, and we've talked about this in other podcasts too, but it's been a while. One of the things that I've always noticed about parenting that I never got was when you see a kid that's like, Dad, watch this. And they do this funny little jump. And you're like, hey, great. And you go back to talking to the adults. And they're like, dad, dad, watch this. And you look over, and it's the same thing. You're like, fantastic. Go back to talking to your friends, right? Dad, dad, watch this. And it's it's easy to say, not right now, you know, take off, go away. Mm-hmm. You keep doing that over and over and over again. Pretty soon that kid's going to stop asking you to watch. And when that young kid grows up to be a, a, you know, an interesting teenager. And is going through some serious stuff. They're going to know you're not watching because you didn't do it back then. And you're going to wonder why the relationships hurt so bad. So although it's, it's a struggle, we talk about parenting out of your inconvenience recovering out of your inconvenience, serving out of your inconvenience, Dr. Paul. And I really do think that's a key to a functional family. And so although it wasn't the most appropriate time for us to have to have that experience, we had to give it our full attention. Mm-hmm. So you know, that being said, um the weekend that we had was was interesting, and we went from this conference where we gathered a lot of information about what's going on in the world of addiction recovery, hearing a lot of different subsets and and people's opinions and thoughts. We found a few uh, a few that we're going to bring on the podcast that I think will benefit you, the listeners quite quite uh, quite yeah. profoundly, I would yeah. say. Um, but more so, Marissa, there was a contrast. Now, I don't want to get too deep into it because this was the last podcast I just released, but I want to make one one um, what do you say? Like a amendment? Amendment. What do they call that? Uh, clarification. I so, I did a podcast uh, on Monday. Released it called "Disney on the Rocks," which was uh, uh, our experience at, at Disney World's Epcot um, and subsequently the Animal Kingdom. Not as not as bad, but the the sheer amount of alcohol that was being consumed by these adults was was blowing me away go back and listen to uh, disney on the rocks you get the full story but there was one part in there where i'd read some stories about disney attempting to legislate a age change to have legal alcohol consumption for 18 year olds that was a, a snoop discovery that was absolutely wrong that was a video that someone put out there that news media ran with and they haven't done their amendments yet and so once we did a little bit more deep diving we found out that's not that wasn't true yeah, which did. is interesting because i can't even imagine like that being <laughs> even something that would be you know, i don't know considered but that's nonetheless i, I want I, to make it, that sure is
1: how many people believed it um, you know, we did even too, because of what's been happening with some of the policy changes with being able to drink and consume alcohol in Disneyland. And that's what's sad to me mm-hmm. is that years and years ago, if that ever came out, people would be like, No, there's no way, there's no way that's not true. But so many people believed it. It went viral on TikTok, it went viral everywhere because they've changed so much in what the philosophy and mission of Disney is that. But that that makes me sad. Yeah, that that's not really questionable if they're asking that.
0: But what that's was true, true is that they have this thing at Epcot, and right now it's kind of an exception because they call it the Wine and and uh, Wine and Dine Festival. Is that well, not,
1: it is? or it's like Food and Wine Festival, and there's a Wine and Dine Festival.
0: And again, like, to each their own. You know, if, if that's if that's part of your 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 lifestyle, fine. That's totally cool with me. I could, you know, I'm not going to dictate what you guys are doing. Um, but the crazy thing about it is that there's this thing they do called drinking around the world, which is, you know, trying to sample alcoholic beverages from each entity that they have in the park. And they're all, if you if you have never been to Epcot, it's kind of like a world tour. So you have like England and Japan and China and, and all these, like, you know, these cultures. Um, but if you were to complete that and only do the drinking around the world challenge, uh, you'd be consuming 11 drinks. Now for men.
1: Well, and it's 11 drinks within like. 8 9 10 hours
0: yeah. so that's it's a, pretty pretty quick so if you're a man if you consume more than 8 alcoholic drinks uh in one occasion meaning like a day like that that's considered a binge drinker for women it's 4 so i kind of have all of a heartburn when disney starts promoting this drinking around the world i mean i know they do it tongue in cheek they used to give you a passport where you'd get a stamped for each one but that looked a little weird i think publicly um, but if you do that, that means each time you do that, you're contributing to binge drinking. Yeah. And the thing that I was bothered with was how it was still very much geared toward children and maybe even the inner child of the adult, but geared toward children with attractions and and rides and, yeah. and characters, right? Yeah, characters that come out. But we saw a lot of kids that were kind of like you know, trapped in their cars, in their strollers or car seats. And I'm like, hmm. This is interesting. Enjoying it. <laughs> so, you know, it was interesting because we were blindsided by it, but I wanted to make that clarification that that wasn't the case once we did a little bit more research, because it was so bizarre. Marissa's like, I'm going to look into the deeper, like, where's this coming from? To, to maybe even get involved if we had to. Mm-hmm. Um, and it ended up being being a farce. So here's the deal with this kind of stuff. Like we live in a world now where, like Marissa said, anything's possible. We've had so many changes in in policies and all kinds of stuff that, we gotta make sure that we're doing our own research on these kind of things as well, because it's easy to get sidetracked and kind of buy into the, you know, the lie, so to speak. And it's sad that we live in a world by which we would even think that would be possible because I read a, a, a news article that Walt Disney, um, uh, I guess contributed to in 1956, I believe. And it was the Saturday morning post And when the reporter was inquiring him about why are you doing this park? It seems kind of like geared toward children's and he's like, it is 100% is. And he went on to say that in no way, shape or form, would he ever allow alcohol in his park because it attracts and brings people that they don't want there. And you can be offended by that, but you can also understand that it's not geared towards you it's geared towards children. Well, and again,
1: it's not about not bringing people into the park that are there. It's not bringing the negative
0: behaviors that go along with the drinking. Walt said, I do not want those people here, which is interesting. You couldn't say that in 2022, 2023, it it wouldn't fly.
1: But it's the behaviors that cause the problems.
0: It's 100% the behaviors because he said that he even went as far as to say that, you know, because that, that emphasis, that, that stuff brings people that would do children harm. Mm -hmm. And it was so interesting to me that following his death, that the, 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 the powers that be were like, well, that one's the first one out, which is interesting. Is that considered growth? Is that considered, you know, like, like you know, I don't know. Disney's becoming woke. Becoming woke, yeah. What is it? Um, encounter culture, like, you know, I guess mindsets and even cancel culture. Um, it's hard not to try and placate to everyone. You can't do that. There will always be critics on both sides. I mean, here we are, we love Disney, but we're also being critics right now. Yeah, And, and it's fine because again, I'm not going to go in there and like, you know, mandate everybody to stop because it's just me. Like, it's your choice. You have a choice in everything you do.
1: Absolutely. You
0: know, and if you're gonna go there and spend all that money to go drink for more power to you, go right ahead. Um, but expect the consequences, which you know isn't always bad. Sometimes it's just a hangover. Sometimes it's you know, crap. We spent way too much money yesterday.
1: Yeah. Well, and like you said, we're trying to do this to help people understand because we work with a lot of people in recovery that. We want to bring awareness that this is going on, and if you're not maybe ready to handle those kind of triggers, avoid it. You know, like when you get there, and really the whole experience is uh, surrounded by drinking. That may not be the best place for you to be.
0: It was kind of blindsiding. I'm not going to lie to you. So if you, and I said this on the live video, if you are in, if you're in early recovery, stay away. Um, because I can't imagine spending as much money as you do to get in there. Only to realize it's a very like like unsafe environment. Does that make sense? Well, and I don't think you—you'd stay because of how much money you spent. Yeah, and
1: I don't think you even brought it up on the podcast. But we left early because of what had happened. They started getting nuts, and we spent a lot of money on those tickets. And again, there were things that I would have liked to see or go through, but you know, like
0: it was getting crazy. The
1: environment was just not what we were signed up for
0: it wasn't conducive to what we were doing and it wasn't again it's not because we're like and I know you made fun of me saying this we're not pearl clutchers like (laughs) oh dear me it was just like it was getting a little rowdy it was getting a little loud it was getting a little bit obnoxious and I'm like I don't need it and we weren't we weren't offended by any means we went and had an experience somewhere else but like I just wanted to share that with you that I want to make sure that uh, I correct what I found to be wrong. Um, I don't want to put it out there as though I'm trying to like instigate or fuel something that doesn't exist. Um, Approach these things with open minds at all things. I mean, there were so many other things that we saw there that were amazing, that were great, you know. And so it was kind of an interesting dynamic going from learning about all these concepts and then, then what's going on in the addiction recovery world to seeing it in live action, you know, like in the happiest place in the world. It was just a very huge contrast, yeah, don't you think? For sure. It was interesting. But, you know, listeners, this is one of those things that I really, truly believe in my heart of hearts that, uh, you know, we should be able to approach with open minds and open hearts. Again, you have a choice in everything you do. And one of the great, I think, misnomers is that you don't have a choice. Um, that's not true. You always have a choice. You have a choice to look at it to be something bad or be something good, mm-hmm. you know? So we were in there like, whoa, this this crowd, this is getting bad, but how did we know it's bad? Right. I mean, we learned a lot there. Yeah. Plus we had some good conversations and we met some people. So there's so many different aspects to this. You have a choice in everything you do. Yeah. That's the number one pivot point in the victim mentality is that you believe you have no choice, you know,
1: but that's, you know, Victor Frankl's the last great freedom. That you can take is the power to choose and to choose your attitude in every any given situation.
0: One hundred percent. If we if we leave you with anything today, it's just that mindset that uh, you know you remain open and teachable, that you remain humble and you're, you're you remain I guess available, not just to hearing new ideas, but I mean because they're still promoting real heav- heavily um twelve step theory, and I know that that's helped a ton of people, but it's not my philosophy. It's not the direction I would go. Um, but it's also interesting because it's such a staple that people have a hard time seeing other approaches So keep that's, an open that's, mind. Again,
1: we do have an approach that there are multiple pathways to recovery in addict to athlete. And that that means that a hundred percent abstinence isn't always the right way. So we do not promote like a hundred percent abstinence here or there, take it or leave it. This is all there is. And so, yeah, are people allowed to drink? Absolutely. Um, But we just, that's what we're saying is some people have a hard time managing that on their own and being able to like, keep it under safe situations and being able to do it in moderation or safely. And that's what we saw was, you know, kind of struggling at, at Epcot. And so it's just being aware of yourself and having the self-awareness of I can handle this and I'm good. And this is what I like and what I need. Great. Or, Hey, I can't. And being able to set your boundaries yourself
0: so i know we're kind of running out of time but i want to share this because i bumped into this article that uh one of our guests uh you know tim tim harrington posted on his linkedin page Mm -hmm. Um, and i stink at these marissa how do i find his like his own post because he posted this thing yesterday and it was a link to an apple news story that i went and read about mat medicated assisted therapy and why it's still looked down on for so many people when it flippin' works for a lot of people.
1: Works
0: for a lot. And it's kind of an interesting, I don't know, article when it starts talking about how people still have struggles understanding that this is a method of recovery. And so many people wanna say abstinence only. That's not always gonna work. Would we love it? Yeah, absolutely. But even Dr. Mate was talking about this too. He's like, you know, when we, when we hyper focus on addiction being a disease, why are there so many people that are locked up? Because you'd never lock up someone that has cancer or, or the favorite when people try to recognize it and, and analyze it to be like diabetes. Can you imagine going to jail because you slipped on your diabetes? So if it's a disease, why are we punishing the patients? Yeah. If it's a choice, how come we're not giving them more? Does that make sense? And so he talked about happen? this, yeah, this is it, you know, harm reduction is being um, uh, demonized by conservative media by attacking lawmakers, and this is what it actually looks like. No, it talks very deeply about misunderstanding, and, you know, uh, even with my Agents of Recovery podcast with Brock and Max, we have a debate about, you know, should we be giving clean needles to people? Should we be giving, you know, these, these things? And yes, we absolutely should. Because you never know when that's going to be their next, you know, like uh, I guess chance for help. Yeah. But we don't like it. We don't like the look of it. We don't like the feel of it. I don't know. Oh, because people
1: think, oh, that's just encouraging use. Um maybe. But they will not be able to make any other choice if they're dead.
0: Yeah. So it's like this. We made a choice while we were at Epcot, right? It was, all right, well, we've had our fill. We're moving on. I wasn't scolding people. I wasn't, you know, doing all that kind of stuff. It's like, if that's their choice, that's their choice. I'm not going to stop them. Um, I'm going to remain neutral to the point where, you know, I want to be available when they're ready. And so it's the same kind of thing. People are having a hard time wrapping their heads around this. And And it boils down, you guys be careful with media. Obviously we can get duped into thinking Disney was trying to drop the age limit for drinking from 21 to 18. You should know that I haven't heard anyone's kids getting packets of rainbow fentanyl for Halloween although that was media blitz to us. Yeah. Now, what happens when we point the finger so much, but we do nothing but advocate for it, is that we become numb to it. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so realistically, open your heart and mind into the different pathways. And just because it doesn't work for you or didn't work for you, doesn't mean it won't work for someone else. Yeah. You know, so I look at these kind of things that we're doing and that's why I loved this was the first conference I've been to where there are multiple paths to people's recovery using physical agility and health as a mechanism of change. And I'm like, it's great. Now, it's funny. And I love it because we've been doing this for a long time, um, but we weren't even the first to do this. There's other programs. that have been doing it for years. But it's funny because everyone's got a different path. We're listening to one about health and recreation, using it as a, as a modality of care just to get them physically active and moving and just seeing the change there, like sober gyms and things of that nature. We're not a sober gym. You know, we have all those components. We are a therapeutic counseling-like entity. We help people erase and replace. And that's only because we're both licensed to be able to do that. Yeah. So I love it because there's this lady out there who was a trained physical therapist, or not physical therapist, um, exercise, exercise, uh, yeah, master's level, mm-hmm.
1: exercise scientist.
0: And she got called to ask to help with a, a local community group that was, or no, it was a treatment center, it was a rehab. And she brought in her expertise and created this program, you know, and, and it was awesome because I'm like, there's someone filling the void. Yeah. You know, yeah. and we've seen it. We met a guy from New Jersey that owns his own program and they ended up building their own gym because COVID wouldn't allow them to go out. And so now they're seeing success. It's a huge part, but it's one part. Now I may not be the, the, the Bible thumping 12 stepper, but I know that program works. Yeah, I know it does when you authentically work the 12 steps as they're designed, they will work for you, but we fizzle out. Right, And some people are stigmatized by it, different cultures
1: Mm -hmm. and different, you know, genders. It's not really built for the LGBTQ community. It's very white male Christian dominated. And, you know, that, that causes issues with other people. There's other different cultures and religions and things out there that people become stigmatized by somebody else. And that's okay. So let's create something that works for them as well.
0: Absolutely. You know, so we may point out differences, well, but I'll never, I'd never mock that, you know, and while we're on that soapbox, you know, be careful of the feedback you give, whether it's, you know, something that you've learned in recovery, maybe it's something you believe personally. Um, You know, even even like Marissa just said, like even with religion, when we start bashing someone else's religion, that hits home to them because religion and spirituality and even their connection with God typically is what saved their life in addiction recovery. The church I belong to, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, saved my life, literally. The principles behind it, the people within it, it saved my life. And so when people begin to openly mock it and call it a cult and all that kind of stuff, I get very frustrated with them, but I'm like, go ahead and see that because for me, it changed my life. I've seen the dark side of life. I've seen being drunk and inebriated and trying to pretend like, oh, I'm spiritual because I hang out in the mountains. No, I was distracting myself with from the pain by drinking and using. And so when I found something that could produce the same feelings with a little bit more investment that I'd be able to remember the next day, absolutely. And so, you know, when I when I hear people you know, bash, you know, Muslims or bash Jewish people, or all this kind of thing, I'm like, you guys are dumb. Yeah. You know, why are you so passionate about trying to hurt someone else? Well, because they belong to a cult. Baloney. Let them be themselves. Let them be who they want to be. You go do you. It's the funniest thing. It's the same concept they use on everybody else. And the reason why I bring that up is because it doesn't matter how you achieve your sobriety. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you are a person that's using cannabis as a, as a metric for your, your healing. It doesn't matter if you you know have chronic pain and you need to take pain medication what really matters is who you are authentically you know does that make sense and for sure you know again i wasn't gonna fault anybody for drinking at epcot they were there they could do it all they want it just wasn't for me yeah you know we didn't shocking because we were not expecting no and so what did we do we went over and got a bunch of ice cream which is probably just as unhealthy (laughs) right and and you know it was really good I should be eating it anyway. Um, But what I'm saying out here is let's just be part of the solution, not part of the problem. Doesn't matter what political aisle you stand on, at the end of the day, please remember you're human. And what we truly want is for for others and ourselves to grow and to heal and to experience and to enjoy so that we can have, you know, I don't know, more experiences and, and, and more time on this little ball of mud. Yeah, please. So we'll wrap it up. I'll get up my soapbox now. I'm not sure where that came from, but holy cow. And all over the place. Yeah, so thanks for listening today. Thanks for for the questions. And again, there's several we didn't get to. But we will answer them off the air and get them submitted to you. If you need any kind of coaching, um, if you need some help, if you need counseling or therapy, we are able to do some of that. So please reach out to Marissa at addicttoathlete.org. You can jump on you know, the website, addicttoathlete.org. Um, if you need to schedule an appointment, if you want some more information on, on how to be affiliated with Addict to Athlete, if you want to talk to one of our recovery coaches, we already have. They're available. So jump on the website. You can connect with any one of them. And uh, again, fundraising is open. Thank you so much for who's contributed already to the Project ELF. I can't wait to show and share with you these experiences and athletes absolutely until next time we'd love to have you continue to keep your 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 heart and your mind solid to turn your mess into a message